Greetings, mortals, and welcome to a very special episode of Fatal Fortunes. Typically, this would be like any other episode. Unfortunately, there are some midterm and work issues, so Al and I decided what better way to give us a break than to give our listeners a break as well. We often talk about our Patreon-exclusive episodes, so we've decided in lieu of an episode this week to release one for free so you can get a little taste as to what the subscriber tier has access to. Without any further introduction, please enjoy this Patreon exclusive on Mr. Otis Redding. Um, I don't know if Nathan is prepared of what happened in the years he was born, but before oh, we even yes. start, I want to... Oh, he has. Perfect. I do. I do. Perfect. But go I on. wanted to plug a couple of things. I first wanted to, of course, plug our Patreon page where we have a special episode on Aristotle Onassis that you won't listen to anywhere. And we don't go into about how much of a dick he is as revealed in a new book that comes out in June. But, you know, Crazy Life, Kennedy Periphery, that's going to be a whole series for Patreon that comes out when we are on summer break you can also do listener support through anchor and i'm really excited to say that we have been listened to in 28 countries that is really awesome and on every continent so that's that's really amazing great and i also want to listen to to us in antarctica though shut up okay all right we're almost there we'll get there we will get there And then finally, I wanted to plug my new Etsy shop, new African company, where you can get amazing hand-knit and fiber art creations by moi and other people that I love and are around me. But what are we drinking today, Nathan? What are we drinking today for our penultimate mini-sode? Today, I've got the uh, Tostitos Creamy Spinach Dip (laughs) (laughs) Water. Water jar. What are you? Are you out of clean cups? No, 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 no. I just think this is so funny to drink out of. And like the reaction that I've gotten from my roommates was like enough to keep it in circulation for glasses that I drink out of. What are you having? You know, just a LaCroix. Mm. Just a regular grapefruit LaCroix. Classic. You know, I'm off the hard kombucha, guys. I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm a less sensitive person when I'm on when I'm on the hard kombucha. <laughs> I feel like I can't truly appreciate the hardship that some of our characters go through when I'm, you know, double fisting the great Stella Etoile and a hard kombucha. So we're we're sticking with water. It's also final season, so yeah. you can drink after finals. Gotta stay focused. Also, guys, um, I found a tick on me earlier. So if um, I'm going to try very hard not to scream if I find another one on me and just very gently walk away and throw it out. But just fair warning to everyone. You know, I was in my garden. One of my plants died, so I had to replace it. Rest in peace. Yeah. What kind of plant was it? It was a sweet sweet pepper plant that I replaced with a cilantro plant. Ooh. I do feel like I'm somewhere in the middle of that gene of like uh, cilantro tastes like soap because like it kind of tastes like soap, but I love cilantro in everything. I'm like, get over it. Okay, at least you so love maybe cilantro, I just like... love the taste of soap, but I don't know. I've don't never know. even thought about it like that. I also like don't go around drinking soap or anything to like have a baseline to compare it to. Mm, fair. Yeah. 
I've had some soap. <laughs> anyway. So, what is happening in 1941? First off, start of the year, January 10th, the Lend-Lease Act is signed into Congress. World War II is in full swing. We're going to see a couple other things uh, World War II related in this year. And 10 days after that is, uh, you know, signed in, FDR has his third term. So that's pretty wild. Only president to have done that. Um, then in the next month, we've got the occupied Netherlands, uh, occupied, of course, by Germany. They start Sad. the first popular uprising against the Axis powers. It's called the February Strike. We've got a cereal created called Cheerios. We've got a movie made called Citizen Kane. And no, never heard of it. All the while, all the while, animators at Disney are striking because they aren't paid enough. Glenn Miller is gentrifying jazz charts while Billie Holiday's God Bless the Child is released. She also, uh, Billie Holiday, gets married to trombonist Jimmy Monroe. So big year for her. The FCC approves paid commercials in July for TV, and wow. the first Jeep is produced. Also, gross, Mount Rushmore is completed in South Dakota. Pearl Harbor is attacked, and months before, FDR has already started work on the Manhattan Project for nuclear weapons. James Joyce, Virginia Woolf, Lou Gehrig, and Marcus Garvey all pass away this year, but it is where our story begins. Wow. I really liked that little ending. Thank you. Interesting. Thank you. Yeah, learned a lot about the year where Otis Redding was born. So Otis Ray Redding was born on September 9th, 1941 in Dawson, Georgia. Their family were considered poor, his father being a sharecropper and preacher. When Otis was around five, they moved to Macon, Georgia. And here in the 1950s, Otis was listening to music by Sam Cooke, former Fatal Fortune, and the Soul Stirs, as well as Little Richard, another musician who we mentioned looks pretty good in a suit. When Otis is 15, his father is diagnosed with tuberculosis, and his mother becomes the prim primary financial provider. Otis also drops out of school at this time and works a couple of different jobs as a wool digger, station attendant, and when he could, a musician. He had been singing in the Vineville Baptist Church Choir and started learning a few instruments as well, guitar, drums, and piano. He's really inspired by the church's piano player, Gladys Williams. She had polio as a child, and this got me thinking about how recent that disease and that, that recent vaccine rollout. Um, and also, in my own life, um, my piano teacher also was diagnosed with polio at a young age around that time. My grandmother, she was saying, you know, she was like, I had to hand it up. This has never happened before ever. It's never, we've never had such a crazy vaccine rollout. I was like, Grandma, weren't you like standing on the dirt floor of your schoolhouse, like in line for the polio vaccine? Yeah. Like, and she was like, is... yes, yes, I was. And I was like, basically, same difference. Yeah. Granny. It is so recent in our history. But um, Gladys Williams is a, a pretty incredible musician who went on to teach a lot of people in middle Georgia for over 25 years. 
and I'm definitely biased when it comes to piano players. So I did a little research on her and, um, you know, she taught, uh, uh, she worked with little Richard and, and Sam cook as well. So that whole, um, that whole town is like rooted in so many great, uh, performers. And, uh, you know, it get Otis into playing larger ensembles and, you know, I, at the end of the day, she just was a wonderful, wonderful musician, it seemed. So Otis is playing with her at a weekly talent show on Sundays at the Hillview Springs Social Club. And this is a pretty great gig for Otis because he gets to sing with friends, uh, little Willie Jones and Eddie Ross. That small ensemble plays this party for DJ Hamp Swain in 1958, and Macon's own prolific guitarist, Johnny Jenkins, decides to sit in and play with the group. He said he thought they needed a little help, but this party was also a talent contest. And with Redding singing Little Richard's hit, Heebie Jeebies, this won them the talent contest 15 weeks in a row. The prize was $5, which is like 40 in today's currency, but it was not all about money. Otis had been introduced to Jenkins now, who worked as his lead guitarist for many gigs after. He also met his future wife at the same contest, and we'll talk more about Zelma Atwood soon. So pretty, pretty, uh, you know, vibrant musical upbringing he's got um, in his childhood. It's incredible to see I didn't all realize of these. How interconnected everyone was. It was remarkable to find out how much um sam cook is involved in otis redding's life um i'll i'll, I'll cover that more later because i excited. feel like that didn't come up from so, our research on sam cook as much right and i mean unfortunately the you know later part of otis's career sam's already passed sam's already been murdered um but they are very interconnected I think Otis uh, recalls going to see Sam Cooke perform. He's definitely inspired by that whole uh, sphere of influence. Him and Little Richard definitely um, were some of the acts that he was seeing growing up and worked with later on. Yeah. So moving through his early career, Otis eventually was asked to join a group a little while after the talent show. He replaced Willie Jones as the lead singer of the group Pat T. Cake and the Mighty Panthers, which also had Johnny Jenkins on guitar. This group toured all across the southern U.S. in the Chitlin Circuit, a string of venues hospitable to African Americans in a time of segregation. Then, from playing in that group, Redding is asked to replace Little Richard in the group The Upsetters. He's paid a lot more than the $5 prize, about $25 per gig. And around this time, he meets Phil Walden, who is a part of this record company called Confederate Records, where Otis records his Ugh. first single. Yeah. But he records his first single in 1961 uh, with Confederate. It's a rewrite of the song Gamma Lama, now sung as Shout Bama Lama. In the next year, his former guitarist, Johnny Jenkins, has already joined a group called the Pine Toppers. Redding attends a recording session at Stax Records in Memphis and is notably backed by Booker T and the MGs. They're a great group if you ever get a chance to listen to them. They've got awesome, awesome music. The session is apparently pretty unproductive, 
but it does give Otis an opportunity to record two new songs. The B-side featured Hey Hey Baby with the lead single being These Arms of Mine. The studio chief at Stax, Jim Stewart, immediately signs Otis to the Stax Volt label. And the single goes on to sell 800,000 copies and top the R&B charts in 1963. He releases two albums under Stax following the singles and continues to record there. He famously records his third album, Otis Blue, Otis Redding Sings Soul, in just one day. A 32-minute 32, 32 album. And what an album. It is in Rolling Stone's Top 500, uh, produced partially by Isaac Hayes, another great musician, and again, backed by Booker T and the MGs. It also features a wonderful rendition of Change Gonna Come, which was released almost a year, and now this is released almost a year after Sam Cooke's murder. Damn. So it's all, all interconnected, but that third album is really what puts Otis on the map. Um, and it's it's very well recognized today. And in that same year, 1965, he releases two more successful singles, I've Been Loving You for Too Long, in parentheses, to stop now, and Fa 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 Fa, parentheses, Sad Song. Really long, really long titles, but they were very successful. And in late 1966, he recorded his final album, to be released in his lifetime, complete and unbelievable, the Otis Redding Dictionary of Soul. On it I is like included the single. That title's not bad. Right? I like a dictionary and of soul. A dictionary of soul, definitely. It's got a nice ring to it. On it is included the single Try a Little Tenderness. This song has been covered by many jazz vocalists, and the publishers apparently did not want the perspective from a black man. Of course, they were unsuccessful in stopping him as the song went on to peak in the top 25 in the Billboard and R&B charts. The song really is pretty electrifying and is one of his many hits. Another year passes, and it's 1967 now, and there are two big events for Otis. The first is a collaboration album with another legendary singer, Carla Thomas, cool. often thought of as the queen of Memphis soul. The album was recorded while she was earning her master's in English at Howard University. Go off. Get your degree, girl. Incredible that all of these musicians are just so multi-talented. Otis was still out touring, um, so a lot of this wasn't even recorded at the same time in the same room. Nevertheless, the album was released in March and was titled King and Queen. And of course, hit the pop and R&B charts top 50. The other big music event for Otis is in June. He's closing for the second night of the Monterey Pop Festival. Up until now, he's mainly performing for black audiences. And at the time, he isn't considered, quote, commercially viable for the white American market, unquote. <laughs> well, he kills it this show, and most of his bandmates agree that it's one of their best. Booker T. Jones remarks, quote, I think we did one of our best shows, Otis and the MGs that we were included in that was also something of a phenomenon. That we were there with those people, they were accepting us, and that was one of the things that really moved Otis. He was happy to be included, and it brought him a new audience, unquote. He plays all the hits and ends with Try a Little Tenderness. I can only imagine how great that show must have been. Oh and my God, I bet people went wild. 
it unfortunately was his last major concert. No! Oh, that's so disappointing. It's like right when you find your sound, same with Sam Cooke, right same, when you exactly. find it. And that's Ugh. why it was so it, like mind-blowing to research all this stuff because there are so many connections of like, yeah, they're just hitting their prime. Ugh. And yeah, both taken away far too soon. So now onto a little bit of his personal life. Otis is in her relationship with Zelma Atwood, as I mentioned earlier, and he met her when they were kids in Georgia, 1958. The relationship did start out of a genuine friendship, and it eventually ended up in the birth of their first child, Dexter, in 1960. In the middle of that same year, Otis moves out to L.A. to get started on his career. He moves in with his sister, and Zelma claims that the most important—sorry. Uh, he moves in with his sister, and Zelma claims that the most important part of their relationship was the communication, no matter the distance. Also, when he would go on tour, Zelma later remarked that he would always find a way to check up on her. In 1961, they officially tied the knot and married in Macon. Oops, sorry. In 1961, they officially tied the knot and married in Macon and went on to have two more children, Carla and Otis III. The family all stayed in Macon, Georgia, and Zelma worked many jobs in town. Uh, It is noted that after Otis's death, Zelma adopts Demetria, and she also shares the writing name. In addition, Otis III, Dexter, and a cousin, Mark Lockett, formed a family band managed by Zelma later on called the Reddings a couple decades later in the 80s. So music definitely lives on in their family, and Zelma oh, yeah. is is holding down the house while Otis is out touring. Um, and it I is nice to see. I don't think you can ever really you know, separate yourself from music. You look at Donny Hathaway from mm-hmm. earlier in the season. You know, His kids went to Berkeley. True. Then you look at Sam Cooke's kids who then went on to, or his widow who went on to make music with Bobby Wambach Mm -hmm. and then her subsequent husband. So you see that they're all making music. They stay making music. I think that's really beautiful. So now onto the unfortunate event of December 9th, 1967. The weather's pretty awful. And Redding and his band have been taking a plane to go between shows uh, just the day before they played three in one day. And their next was in Wisconsin, and they're set to play at the Factory Nightclub in Madison. After a phone call to his wife and children, Otis departs in the plane despite warnings about the heavy rain and fog. Ben Colley, the trumpet player for the Barkays, was the only survivor. He remembers waking up to hearing Fallon Jones, their tenor saxophonist, exclaim something while looking out the window. Soon enough, Ben had undone his seatbelt and was in the ice-cold water of Lake Monona. Ben couldn't well enough to save anyone else, and he stayed afloat on a seat cushion. Otis Redding, Fallon Jones, organist Ronnie Caldwell, drummer Carl Cunningham, the valet Matthew Kelly, oops, sorry, the valet, Matthew Kelly, and pilot, 
Fraser, all perished in the crash on December 10th, 1967. The cause of the crash is never determined. The funeral for Otis is postponed a couple of days, so more... Oh, sorry. The funeral for Otis is postponed a couple of days, so more can attend, and the service is held at the city auditorium in Macon. 4,500 people are reported to have attended, and Redding is entombed at his ranch in Round Oak, about 20 miles north of Macon. 30 years later, on November 8, 1997, a memorial plaque is placed on the lakeside deck of the Madison Convention Center, Monona Terrace. Oh, I hate it. This is such a sad story, and I hate it. Oh, living through a plane crash. Yeah. I was just talking to a roommate about Travis Barker, who is another musician who lived through a plane crash. And it is pretty unsettling how many musicians died in plane crashes um, in the past hundred years. But what I think I is major is that, you know, we get on planes all the time in bad weather. And we yep. don't even think, we don't even think that like we could be Buddy Holly or Otis Redding or Princess Cecily or anybody. We don't think like that. Uh, I think the thing I mean, that I don't makes you better now, like, but yeah, like you're on a bigger plane, so you think that you're safer. But yeah, it's if it's your time, then it's your time, and it's it's very unfortunate that it was Otis's. Also, side note: I watch this show, Ally McBeal, all the time. It's about you know young lawyer in Boston, and the season two opener is the main character like in a plane crash and it comes out in like 1999 or something. I'm like, you would never see that on TV today in a post nine 11 world. You would never have the cold open be a plane crash. I mean, didn't they do that in lost though? Oh, I haven't seen lost. Sorry. I mean, I get that. That's the whole point of the show. That's I mean, that's the point of lost. There was a big plane crash. It's true. Oh, what was the one that they did on Disney that stars Corbin Blue? Flight 29 Down? Oh, my God. I love that one. I love <laughs> that one. You just unlocked you unlocked a memory. Wow. We'll make a blog post. Our favorite plane crashes on television <laughs> ever. <laughs> our favorite air disaster <laughs> clips. Oh, my God. All right. Otis's death happens three days after recording one of his most iconic songs, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. It was released in January of 1968 and immediately went to number one, selling four million copies. Apparently, this song was not well received before its release by key members of production. Even Zelma didn't care for its melody, and Stax did not really think it was an R&B track, which could damage the label's reputation. The whistling at the end also was not in the original score, but Otis had that intuition that it would be a song that would reach the top of the charts, and it did. Stax did end up getting damaged, but only because they didn't have Otis writing anymore. After his passing, the label was distributed by Atlantic Records. Oh, sorry. The label was distributed by Atlantic Records, and after his passing, it was sold to Warner Brothers. Unbeknownst to Stax, 
Atlantic had already owned everything, the Masters, and they had enough material to release three albums under their label, Atco Records. Stax didn't get anything from the release. So Stax doesn't get anything from the release of The Immortal Otis Redding in 1968, Love Man in 1969, and Tell the Truth in 1970. It all goes to Atlantic. Yeah. And another parallel to Sam Cooke. Just, you know, two, two, uh, too, too much overlooked in contracts of who owns what. And then after it's too late, um, yeah, the, the material is all owned by a company that is very greedy. And, you know, sometimes so. I think I'm like, what can I do? That stuff is so terrible. And I'm like, thank God I'm in law school. Thank God I'm good in contracts. Thank God yeah. that that's the class I'm You're good You're learning at. about Ugh. that stuff. Mm-hmm. Stax did end up releasing more work by Redding, notably in 2016, releasing a box set of the three-day performances at the Whiskey A Go-Go in 1966, which went on to win a Grammy. Another Grammy-worthy moment involving Redding is his song, Try a Little Tenderness being sampled by Jay-Z and Kanye West in their song aptly titled Otis. It won Best Rap Performance in 2012. It did? Oh my god, I it didn't know that. Did. Yeah, it is. Uh, a pretty great song, and it, it samples a pretty great song. So I feel like the video is just them on Jeeps. Yeah, I feel like uh, that is a definite style <laughs> that they embraced for that song of just like, one location, and we're not going to be moving around a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Redding has often been called the King of Soul, a title also shared with Sam Cooke, of course. His style exemplified labels like Stax, and his music lives on through many R&B and soul musicians, Aretha Franklin, Al Green, and Marvin Gaye, to name a few. Finally, in 2007, Zelma created the Otis Redding Foundation, whose mission is to empower, enrich, and motivate all young people through programs involving music, writing, and instrumentation in Macon. We love that. That's the end of the Otis Redding story. And I hope you enjoy it. That was uh, a really, really great dive into uh, a, a fascinating musician. No, dude, you sound like NPR worthy. Oh, this thank you. Co- this is so cool. And also, guys, remember, you can watch this on YouTube. You can watch this production on YouTube and then get the full experience of Alan Nathan. And I would love more YouTube subscribers and very much appreciate it. You know, shout out our moms. Our moms already subscribed. Mm -hmm. but That's fair. Yeah. Moms do not make monetization. There's no mom in monetization. You're right. (laughs) Most mostly there, but not all the way. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening to this penultimate mini sode for season one. This is coming out on Patreon sooner than it's gonna come out in the real world. So I just want to let people know that like the forecast of the last episodes is Anne Boleyn, something for Nathan to decide, and then Judy Garland. That's exciting to me. 
Let's do it. Very, 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 very exciting. So thank you guys so much for tuning into another episode of Fatal Fortunes. I have been Al. I have been Nathan. On Tuesdays, we talk ghosts. See you next time. <laughs>